Have you been feeling stuck, exhausted, and finding yourself living as a passenger in your own life? By giving away so much of your energy and power to everyone and everything around you. But you? Well, you are not alone. My name is Dr. Valérie Johnston Dugamin, osteopath, and I have been there too. After being burned out, exhausted, I decided to take control of my life and get back into my driver's seat. It wasn't easy though, but I did it. And you can do it too. In this podcast, I will share stories, invite guest speakers, and provide insight and tips on how to turn your life around and move back into your driver's seat. My guest today is a mom, a stepmom, a wife, a daughter, sister, and friend, and she's a commercial lawyer as well, and a small business owner. She's someone who is passionate about ongoing education, lifelong learning, continual improvement, stepping outside her comfort zone, and helping and nurturing those around her. She was born in country Victoria, where she grew up with her parents, brother, and close friends. At a very young age, she already wanted to be a lawyer. She always was passionate about educating, nurturing, and empowering those around her. She believes that knowledge is power and shares her knowledge and experiences wherever possible. Thank you, and welcome Tanya White to the Driver's Seat Club. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so pleased to be here to talk to you. It's such a pleasure. And you're going to talk about the transition from working in the corporate world to becoming a mother. That's right, I am. And the transition for me had challenges, to be honest. You know, I guess I wouldn't be here talking to you if it was all rainbows and unicorns. But the challenge for me that maybe is of interest to you and maybe some of your listeners is I became a stepmom before I became a biological mother. So the transition went from, and I like to sort of narrow it down to a very quick nutshell, I worked in the city and cocktails after work and I would return home to my inner city apartment with my cats and, you know, do what I want to do and the time was mine. And I met my now husband within a period of six months of our dating. I was living in the outer suburbs and a stepmom to three children. So the transition was quick and I don't believe I went in with open eyes. Not that I would change anything. I believe we need to support maybe step-parents or as they're becoming step-parents in that transition because the transition can be challenging. There's a lot to learn very quickly. And was it a shock for you? Shock is an understatement, actually. On a range of different fronts. So I was very lucky. My stepchildren, the age that I met them and joined their family and their life. So three of them, there were twin six-year-olds and a five-year-old. So it was a good age. They were out of nappies. So I didn't need to step into changing dirty nappies and, and, you know, having spit up on my shoulder and things like that. 
but also they weren't so old to have that teenage angst and, and attitude. So they were beautiful in accepting me with open arms and they just saw me in those early days as, as another adult to play with and, you know, a shiny new toy really. What was maybe a shock to me was how much time and energy children absorb and take and need and also moving from a single life in a suburb to family life in outer suburbs, that was dramatic. From a personal perspective, finding the transition from almost two different versions of myself, quite difficult. So, and I mourned the loss of the single corporate in a city woman. I really mourned for her and I didn't know how to create a new version of myself in the outer suburbs. And I know it might sound a little bit ego or something wrapped up in there where, you know, that joy of, I'll just do what I want when I want. You know, it's a very easygoing lifestyle when you're a single person, I think. Well, you know, it has its own challenges. But being answerable to others and and being responsible to others and not being able to, well, I feel like going for a walk, so up and leave the house, something as simple as that. I found that really, really difficult. How long did it take you to start to get used to the new way of living? To be honest, probably a couple of years, Valerie. So around the same time that I moved into my husband's home and and joined the family in the outer suburbs, I was starting to have some mental health challenges. My new circumstances may have been a contributing factor, no doubt. And I found then I was feeling isolated. I personally, looking back with, you know, 2020 vision, I was isolating myself from my old life. I was sort of saying, well, where it was easy for me to just skip down to a local yoga class and then catch up with a girlfriend for a coffee, now it takes me an hour to drive there. So all too hard, I won't do it. So I was putting these hurdles in front of myself. So I found myself in a position where my anxiety was peaking and I was suffering from a degree of depression. I needed to really work through that and be compassionate to myself but brave to ask for help because until I worked on that I wasn't going to be able to fully transition into this new me this new role this new life you know for example you said you couldn't find the time for example to go and spend with a friend how did your friend back there you know like when you were single how did they react to see you in that way or did you lose a lot of friends or Did some stick with you? It's interesting. When I first sort of moved, I had a a couple of friends that in a very kind way, they asked me questions like, do you know what you're getting into? Do you appreciate the challenges that you're about to confront? And I was naive and I was in love and I'm like, yes, it's fine. And had this really naive Hollywood view of, of how it was all going to fit together. Aside from those, you know, initial bits and bobs that people had to say at the start, they were just supportive of me. My coping mechanism and a side effect of the mental health challenges that I was exposed to then was I was isolating myself. And so I was finding reasons not to catch up with people. I would say yes to things and be a last minute, sorry, I can't come. And so like anything, That happens often enough and people stop asking you. Now that time has passed, 
you and I have spoken separately about, you know, I, I use this concept of well very, very loosely because it is a day-by-day proposition for everyone, I believe. However, I am as well as I have felt in a very long time. But in this position I find myself now and with the 2020 looking back, I am getting better at reaching out to those old people, the ones that I feel comfortable with and explaining where I was and explaining my sudden disappearance. I don't want them to feel like, oh, well, she found a bloke, she's moved away, we're nothing to her. I don't want them to feel like that's what happened. I want them to understand that there were challenges for me and what worked for me at that time was to hide. Yes, of course. And what happened then, you know, so you move in, with the new family, have a new life, three kids. So what was basically your work and also fitting into that new life? How it looks like? Where I moved to was then a significant drive from where I worked. So my employer at the time was very flexible with me, sort of working remotely or from home and things like that. I'm a lawyer and so my work environment at the time was quite high pressure with long hours and things. And so with the other challenges that I had, I took the decision, I made the decision to take a step back from work. And so I took a little bit of a break just to make sure that I could concentrate on the personal side of me and not have these really long hours and the challenges that came with my job then. I needed to choose which one I was going to concentrate on and which one was going to get my energy and my efforts. So I made that decision and I took a small break. They were still my employer and things, but I I was just taking a break and they were very, very supportive of that. How long was the break? It turned out to be about six months. Towards the end of that break, that's when I got pregnant with my little girl. So the break turned from being sort of like a career break, mental health, you know, what have you break to a maternity break. And during that time, my employer, they were a a government employer and the whims of politics, the agency I worked for was wrapped up. So, you know, I got a nice little check, a goodbye and a redundancy. And so all of that timing sort of worked because then I was at the end stages of my pregnancy and then with Bubby when she arrived at home. And so what I thought was going to be a short career break sort of had an extended period just from circumstance then. I came to the realisation probably when my daughter was around one that I still have so much to offer. I'm not ready to retire as such. Being at home and being a mother is a huge workload. Like I was not bored, don't get me wrong, but I just wanted to continue to use my education and to continue to help people and to really exercise my grey matter. Yeah, that makes sense. So initially I took a volunteering position with, it's the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence. They do a secondhand book exchange purchasing thing. So anyway, I got in there and helped them for a bit and that was lovely to just meet some people. I think that was a really important step for me to see, to recognise that my little girl would be okay for a few hours in childcare. The world is not going to collapse and it can work for our family and the older kids are okay. We can make it work. And did you do it part-time with the job? Yes, I did. 
so it's sort of got me thinking that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing proposition re-entering the workforce. And I think that was an important learning for me because before then, before I dipped my toe into re-entering the workforce in some capacity, I had thought, well, how can I possibly do, you know, 60-hour weeks and not be here for the family or, or what have you, when it didn't have to be that way. So it started to get me thinking about what options were available. And so then the next step for me was, well, I'm a trained lawyer. I've been doing this for 15 years. I'd be mad not to leverage that experience and that learning. And so I started to offer my services on a very ad hoc basis. I used some of the gig economy platforms, so Airtasker and things like that. I'll tell you what, in those early days, some clients got some really good work for really cheap money. I wasn't in it for the money. I was in it for confidence building. Can I do this? Do I still have the knowledge? You know, and of course I did, but it's just that you have that mental hurdle. Yes, you need to rebuild the confidence, right? Absolutely. I hear it quite often and I used to hear it a lot, you know, in my mother's group and things like that, which is, oh, I need to go back to work, maternity leaves over or I'm, I'm starting my own business or what have you. Can I do it? Air quoting here, which your listeners won't hear, but am I just a mum? And it's like, no, you're not. You were a human. You were a person before you were a mum. So you are still that and a mum now. And it's really hard to tell ourselves to recognise what else we still have to offer the rest of the world. And that doesn't say that being a mum isn't fabulous. It is. I love it. I love it to death. But I have other things to offer as well. And I am more than mum. That's great. I love that. Dipping my toe in volunteering and then dipping my toe in the gig economy. Okay, you know, people seem to like what I'm doing and they like to work with me, rah, rah, rah. Then I'm like, okay, I'll start my own legal practice. It did start very much on a part-time basis from a home office and I worked out with my husband, you know, how our days can pan out and what support I needed, what did he still need, kids in care or with family or or what have you. And from there, it has grown. So now my business is a full-time proposition for me. My hubby is at home with the kids in the afternoon after school because, you know, our youngest is five now. So we do have a bit more time available to do non-parenting things necessarily. And it's just really grown and my confidence has grown. How did you develop that? You know, like, so starting to work, building your own business, how challenging was it? Or were you just so driven on the driver's seat and then you just went for it? The drive was there, certainly, you know, the passion and the desire was there. Starting a business comes with so much red tape and that can be overwhelming. And even though I come from an industry that, you know, a commercial industry and trained to read documents and contracts and I can work my way through government legislation and things like that, even though I've got that ability, which a lot of business owners don't, you know, it's still overwhelming how many hoops you need to jump through and and to have everything in order and then and you'll know this yourself when you're in business all the different hats you need to wear yes I'm the lawyer but I'm also the social marketing manager and I'm also the office cleaner but my desire meant that I was able to achieve it and did you get the support from your husband at the time or he was working yeah he's my biggest cheerleader he comes from a finance background. So he's in the corporate world as well, which has been really handy in terms of setting up a business and running it. I cannot do numbers. I am 
hopeless and formulas and doing the accounts and things. So it has been a wonderful practical support as well. But he also has been very willing to set his ego aside or maybe set those traditional gender roles aside to say, well, okay, you can go and be the breadwinner and I will do the ironing and I will pick up the kids from school. And so he's very willing to do that. And he's had his challenges to accept that role and to put aside what he perceives people might be judging him as. So I think men have a lot of that different hurdles in being a real support, being a real leader in their home and in their family. We need so that people like you and me and so many other mothers actually have the ability to go out and run our businesses. Absolutely. They're not any less of a man because they're cooking the spaghetti and packing the school lunches. I think traditionally people have judged men who are adopting that role. And I think that's changing slightly because so many men now father, they're just taking care of the kids so much and they spend so much time. And as you said, they're happy to step down and then let uh, the woman be on the driver's seat. It's finding that what works for you as a family, what works for you as a couple. And, you know, it's not an all or nothing for us. You know, I'm on dinners and drop-offs and things, but we sit down at the start of each week and we work out who's doing what, when, and what works for us. And so it's that communication and being open to each other's needs. And that can be really important and can be downplayed, I think, the importance of that communication. Absolutely, because that's so important to maintain a good momentum in the family. Moving forward, though, so having the business, it's been five years, is that right? Since you have the... It probably began, yeah, in, an, in the part-time capacity around maybe four years ago. Since I've really dedicated myself to developing it, having me in the driver's seat. We spoke uh, before, you said, oh, your business, you set it up in a different way. It's not like in a corporate world when you have to set a price. I can't remember exactly what you said, but you said the way that you organize it and you set it up, it's really working for you. So I would like you to explore that because it sounds like it's been so flexible as well for you, family and everything else. We all have views of what lawyers look like, how they operate. We've all heard the bad lawyer jokes, rah, rah, rah. In my experience, and I worked with some of the largest law firms in the city, charging by the hour, being quite inflexible about, well, you know, I can meet you next week at this time, you come to my office. The rigidity around process, there is a place for it. However, I don't think that place works with small or medium-sized businesses. In my experience, my clients who are on the smaller end of, you know, the spectrum, they need the flexibility. They need to know that, can I just call you and we talk through this or can we jump on Zoom? I was doing sort of teleconferencing before it was COVID cool, you know, or can you come to me? Can we just meet at the cafe? That real flexible. Also, not being nine to five, quite often small business owners, they're doing the work between nine to five. They're the hairdresser or they're the IT company or whatever it is. They're actually doing the work nine to five. And when they work on the business is out of hours or on weekends. 
So making myself available to service them when they need. I'm not saying that that then extends the amount of hours I'm working. It means that, okay, cool, I know I've got a meeting Saturday afternoon. So I think from my client perspective, that flexibility really works. Also, being in charge of my own business it means that I get to choose how I service clients. So I pride myself on really building a personal rapport with my clients. I am genuinely interested about them and their business. Equally, being responsive. I try to be as responsive as possible as well. And then from the money side, and money always talks, I don't like to do hourly rates for a couple of reasons. I think they need to have the transparency of how much it's going to cost. That's a great idea. The way that I find works really well with my clients is we have a chat. What do you need? Why do you need it? Blah, blah, blah. I then give them a fixed fee quote. And so when they agree to that, they know that they can call me 20 times if they have questions about what the process is. That's what's important to me. I want to feel like part of their team. I want to feel like I'm a trusted advisor. No doubt I'm leaving some money on the table. I know that, but that's a commercial decision that I've made for my business. The other really big reason why I don't like to do hourly rates is because I don't want to keep timesheets. Wow. So that's so fascinating what you're saying. And you're creating your own way of you creating your business the way that you want it, being in the driver's seat. Tell me, though, in regards to all of that family business. What about you, Tanya? How have you been taking care of yourself, finding that space so then you can look after your health, so you can continue to be both efficient in your family, also in your business? That's something that I've had to really work on, Valerie, to be honest. So a few years ago, so when I was being mum, stepmom, wife, starting business, my mum pulled me aside and she said, take off the cape, baby. You're not superwoman. You know, you've got to calm down. And I am someone, I tire easy. I feel my energy gets sapped. Not easy, but I recognise when the energy is gone. So I've had to be really firm with myself about how I can take care of myself. So a few things that I practically do each day, each week. Every morning I'm up at quarter to six in the morning and I take myself off for my walk then. That's great. I listen to podcasts on my walk. I listen to yours. Thank you. You know, things that I can't have on the radio at home. I'm blessed from a financial perspective to be able to do this, but I go and buy myself a coffee every day. That's amazing. Enjoy a coffee that someone else has made for me. I really, really enjoy vacuuming. And I know that that's a weird thing. It's because I've got a Dyson stick vacuum. So Saturdays, I set aside an hour, I choose my podcast, I turn it up really loud and I vacuum the house. Good on you. But it's a chore I've found a way to really enjoy. I get help when I need to. I speak very openly with my family, my parents and my husband and my circle of friends, but also I'll reach out to different counsellors and things. And it might be interesting things. I've worked recently with a hypnotherapist. I worked recently with a woman who talks all about empowering parents. How can you be the best version of yourself with your kids and things? So it's not the formal go and see a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anything, but things that really speak to me, I try and do as much as possible. And I read each evening as well. 
That's so, so important. And I really wanted to know your perspective on that because how you doing that, what do you feel about that? You know, having that time for you, how does it make you feel? It is so important for me. And I have learned now not to judge myself on taking that time for myself. I am a better person for taking that time. I am a more resilient person. And, and that's a big thing for me. When I lose resilience, my mental health suffers. So then my physical health suffers, my relationships suffer. So I need to really look after myself because the second that my resilience starts to take a, a hit, it's you know a very quick downhill run from there. That sounds amazing. For you, what is the takeaway with all experience, starting with the corporate world, so moving into that different place with a family of three and then just changing your life around, having your own business and then, wow, Tanya now. I think what I've had to learn and my major takeaway is flexibility. I'm a real planner and I'm very analytical and I want it this way, that way, and if it doesn't go that way, I get sort of upset or, or what have you. I've had to learn to go with the flow a little bit more. I've had to learn that not all criticism is meant to be mean or harsh. It can be constructive and I don't have to feel judged. People might be just trying to, from the outside in where emotion isn't involved, be trying to help or give their perspective of things that could help and just being kind to myself. Like a lot of people, I am my own worst critic to try and quieten that voice and say, would you speak to your daughter this way? And invariably the answer is no. So why am I speaking to myself this way? Yes, because you are talking about the imposter syndrome. Absolutely. Isn't that prevalent? In all of us. We're all just ducks, you know, we've all got this pretend on the top of the water, we know what we're doing underneath, our legs are going crazy. I think one of my next podcasts will be the imposter syndrome because that's something that we all experiencing it. And I think a, a big step to that is recognising that everyone has it. And I think social media has a huge part to play because everyone's just putting up the shiny, happy version of themselves or their life or their business or whatever on there. And it's it's not the true story and we can look at it and go, oh, why doesn't my house look like that or why didn't I have those sales figures or whatever it is. And the fact is people are just cherry picking the very best parts of themselves. Well, thank you so, so much, Tanya, for being part and sharing your story on the Driver's Seat Club today. I really appreciate it. Any words that you would say to everyone that's listening? I would just say to all of the listeners, keep doing what you're doing. Be the lifelong learner that you are, listening to podcasts, reading, looking at blogs, be selective in, in what you're feeding yourself. I am so passionate and such an advocate for this lifelong learning and we can learn from each other's stories. So be honest about your story, share it where you feel comfortable sharing it and learn from each other's experience. That sounds so amazing. And by the way, thank you for choosing to share your story. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Driver's Seat Club. Until next time, have a powerful day.